right, how about them capitals? All right, I have fully jumped onto the bandwagon, uh, unashamedly. Uh, this last week, I actually flew down to Tulsa. My wife was down in Arkansas visiting her family, so I flew down to Tulsa on Wednesday night, and I was in the rental car, and it just so happened to be during the Caps game. So I uh, found it on NHL Network on the, on the radio, and listening to a hockey game on the radio is the most exhilarating thing ever because it's already so stressful, and then you've got these announcers, which I have a deep respect for, because it's all like Eastern European names, and it's happening so fast, and it's like, because that's how Burkowski, Ovechkin with the hit, let's go! Like, it's crazy how fast it is, and I was just driving like, oh my gosh, it's going 100 miles an hour, no, I'm just kidding, but... I was like hanging on to every single word because I couldn't see it. And I, and I saw the, the and, and, and there was the moment, you know, the save, you guys remember that? Where, you know, it's within two minutes and all of a sudden uh, Las Vegas starts making a surge and then I, I can't see what's happening. I mean, and all of a sudden I hear the announcer go, and Holpe with the save of the century. And I was in my car by myself like, yes, I didn't even know what happened. I didn't even see it. Later, I had to look at it, and it was incredible. But I was hanging on to every single word. There were power in those words. I think sometimes we don't realize the power that are in our words. You know, God used words to bring this universe into existence. If you want to commit your life to somebody and get married to them, it takes two words. Wars have been declared with words. There is power in our words. Proverbs 18.21 says this, The tongue can bring death or life. But many times we treat our words like they're cheap, like it's nothing. We wield them around and, and, we, and we just spew out whatever we want to say. Many times we don't realize the power that is in our words. And so my big fat mouth, this series is about the power of our words. How do we speak in a way that instead of bringing death, we bring life? This very first week, we're going to talk about criticism. Criticizing, with the, the, the dictionary definition, um, is to indicate the faults of someone or something in a disproving way. Or it is to form and express a sophisticated judgment. You know, we have criticism all around us. Start with the royal wedding, you know. People saw Princess Meghan's dress and freaked. Like, it was like, is she serious? That thing is disgusting. Like, it hasn't, you know, did she go to the tailor? Did she blah, blah, blah? Like, Kate won. And uh, it's like, (laughs) who cares? Who cares? And, And it made me think, like, man, if this was your wedding day, would you want somebody just, just bashing on the dress that you chose, you know? But guys, we're not, we're not exempt from criticism. You know, when, when I watch a football game, the, the, the names I call these players is unbelievable. And I get so personal with it. Like, I'll be like, he, he needs to just get out of football and think about his life choices. Because if he can fumble the ball like that with all these people, and I get so, I, I criticize. We have criticism all around us. You know, I even was the, uh, the victim of crit- criticism recently. Um, I don't know if you guys knew, but I was on the Ryan and Kelly show. Um, Every message I do, I'm going to put that into it now. (laughs) This is my second one in a row. Um, 
But no, like on Facebook, they post like the, the video of us like dancing to try out to get on the show. And I, if you haven't seen it, I was just being an idiot. Like I was just, I'm a terrible dancer. I was like, I'm going to dance as fast as I can and just look like a moron. Uh, this lady on Facebook was like really serious. She's, she put OMG, all caps, please, each time the audience comes up to dance, it is more and more embarrassing as to how they... Th- as to how they think they are really dancing, and it matters. And then she said, do you have to do this, Kelly? And I thought this was really funny. One, because like, she saw the, the dance. If you looked at that, you would not be like, this guy thinks his dancing matters. You'd be like, this guy is a moron. Like, he's awesome. <laughs> but the, the second part that's really funny is the end where she put, do you have to do this, Kelly? Like, like Kelly Ripa came out and was like, you guys have to dance in front of me. And I'm going to force you to. And then that she's running their Facebook page, that she's actually going to see this. But it made me see, man, criticism is everywhere. But the sad thing is I think that sometimes it's most prevalent in the church. Galatians 5, 14 through 15 says this, For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Proverbs 12.18 says, Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. I'll be honest with you, giving this message of criticism, I've been one of the worst offenders. I've said a lot of words that have cut people down, that have hurt people. I've made fun of a lot of people. I've criticized a lot of people all just to try to get a laugh, to try to get people to like me. And so... I I firmly believe that there's going to be a day where I have to give an account for the words that I've given. And so I want to spend the rest of my life bringing healing in my words, reversing this trend that I've had in my life where I want to see people's lives, I want to see them realize a hope in their life because of the words I say and not feel so uh, criticized. I want to ask, how about you? Have your words brought hurting or healing when you give an account to God one day for your words, what will, what will it be? What will be the results? You know, criticism is something that is so easy to fall into, but it is so important for us to fight against. And so we're going to go through three questions, three questions that we think, okay, how do I get out of this trend of criticism? Number one is, do I trust God to restore the brokenness in my life? Do I trust God to restore the brokenness in my life? There's this uh, amazing story in the Bible where Solomon became king, and then God asked Solomon, hey, if you can have anything, I'll give you anything. What do you want? And he could ask for riches, he could ask for fame, but he asked for wisdom because he was king. He wanted to serve his people, and so God gave him wisdom. But then he also gave him riches and fame. But the, the story that the Bible gives to show this wisdom that uh, King Solomon had was this. There, there were two prostitutes um, that lived in the same house, and they were, they were in the same uh, bed, and they, had just, they each had had babies within days of each other. Um, and it says in 1 Kings 3, it says, but her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. And this is one of the prostitutes. And she got up in the night and took um, and this is the one prostitute giving an account of it to Solomon. Then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep with her. 
And then uh, Solomon says, Then he said, Cut the living child in two, and give half to one woman and half to the other. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, Oh no, my Lord, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, All right, he will neither be yours nor mine. Divide him between us. And so Solomon showed this wisdom of like, Hey, here's these two women. The one rolled over on her uh, baby. The other one didn't. The one whose baby had died, she switched the babies in the middle of the night to try to convince um, the other one that her baby had died. And so Solomon, in order to figure out who the real mother was, you know, like he said, said, okay, split the baby in half. He had no intentions of doing that. He just knew the real mother would say, hey, let the other woman, I'd rather life than this baby to be killed. And the reason I'm sharing this is because um, this woman, the one whose baby she had, had, the one whose baby had died, she, for some reason, thought, okay, I have the pain and the loss of losing this child. And so the way I'm going to deal with this is I'm going to try to, to um, instead take away the life from the other woman. I'm going to try to take her joy. I've experienced pain, so I'm going to take it away from her and try to transfer it over to me. And so what I think a lot of times is with criticism, that's what we do. We think, I've been hurt. I've got brokenness in my life. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to try to transfer their joy to mine. I'm going to steal their life, their joy. I'm going to make fun of them. I'm going to criticize them. And we think that it's going to build us up, but you end up worse off than you were, and you end up destroying that person's life. And that's what criticism is. You know, it's what happens when we criticize. And, and what I want to ask you is, instead of doing that, what if you trusted in God to restore the joy in your life? There's brokenness, there's loss, there's pain. All of us go through it. All of us get in points where our lives are not where we wanted them to be. What if we trusted in God's promises for that restoration instead of trying to steal it from other people? You know, and so, so we have to trust that God can restore the brokenness in our lives. Stop trying to keep others from the joy that you desperately want and trust in God for it. Stop trying to put matters into your own hands. I had this, um, one of the, my friends in high school and one of the guys on my football team, his dad actually was the defensive coordinator for the Redskins. Now he's defensive coordinator for the Browns. And he, um, he had this saying where if you were a defensive back and, and you basically had, uh, you're covering a wide receiver and the ball's up in the air, he said, if you know that you're not going to catch it, your mentality should be, if I don't get it, he don't get it. That was his, his words, exactly. If I don't get it, he don't get it. And so he was like, if, you, if there's got to be a penalty, if there's got to be whatever, you do whatever you can to keep him from catching that ball. And I think a lot of times we take that in our lives when we go through pain, when we go through loss, when we go through criticism, we think, man, there's this joy that I'm not experiencing, and if I don't get it, he don't get it. She don't get it. So we criticize. If we see somebody who's being successful, or we see somebody how they raise their kids, or see somebody in the way that they work, we criticize them because we think, if I don't get it, they don't get it. If I don't get the fulfillment, they don't get it. And we've really been, been going to the wrong source for our fulfillment. I remember in seventh grade, um, I had this kid that started coming to my, my school and for whatever reason, he decided to start making fun of me. 
And it got to where at night, man, I would just be sick thinking, I do not want to go to school tomorrow. This guy's making fun of me. Everybody was laughing at me. I was really sensitive. And, and the sad thing, though, is the way I handled it was not right. I started realizing that I could use my words to make fun of other people, and it got the focus off of me. And I, and I, I got people laughing. I got pe- but, like, I would just... Like the Bible said, devour and destroy uh, these people by criticizing them, thinking if I make fun of them, they no longer won't be making fun of me. It'll be on somebody else. And I did this, and, and I carried this through high school. And, and, and I came across, um, you know, basically like just this whole thing on criticism, realizing, man, I decided to try to steal other people's joy instead of going to God and saying, God, this is really hard that people are making fun of me, but I'm going to trust in you to restore what's broken in my life. I decided to try to take from other people. You know, and so how we handle criticism determines how we deliver criticism. Luke 6.28 said, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. You know, when we put it into God's hands and say, I've been hurt, this is hard, this is difficult, but I'm trusting in you for restoration. I'm not going to try to put matters in my own hands and criticize everybody else. I firmly believe that God has promises in his word that he will restore what is broken. So count on those promises to where you don't have to um, rely on criticizing others to make yourself feel better. So that's the first thing. Have you trusted in God for the restoration you need in your life? The second is, Before you speak, think through, is this a word of construction or destruction? This is a word of construction or destruction. Ephesians 4, 28 and 29 says, If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. You know, what really sticks out to me is it says, everything you say, be good and helpful. What if that was the filter of everything we said? Is this good? Is this helpful? You know, like I said, I really struggled a lot with criticism. I'm very sarcastic. I'm very, like, just demeaning sometimes. And a lot of my humor... Well, all of my humor for a long time was just either inappropriate or criticizing. Like, and I looked at, I saw this verse one time, and it was like, everything you say needs to be good and helpful. And I was like, oh, God, you really cut me off of the knees here, man. Like, that's all of my humor. Like, that's everything. So, like, I can't make fun of people. Like, I can't criticize people. I can't, like, and I, I started thinking, man, all of my, all of my humor and so many of my words were cutting other people down. And yes, people were laughing. People thought it was funny, but it was crazy when you started to see, like I started to see years and years and years later how a lot of people didn't want to have anything to do with me. And it's like, why? And, and then I think, oh, that's right. I said that about them. I embarrassed them in front of other people. I criticized them. And, and I think like, man, if I can have now the filter of, is this good and helpful? Or, or another way to put it, does this build up or tear down? So think about that. Um, I read this book called 42 Faith. 
uh, by Ed Henry. What it was about is Jackie Robinson and, and the story of Jackie Robinson, really how faith played such a huge part in um, Jackie Robinson being the first African-American in the major leagues. And uh, it was, it was um, such an amazing move, so ahead of its time. And in this book, I, I read this part. This is where Jackie Robinson was in the minors. He was playing um, for a minor league team up in Montreal. And he had all of this pressure because he was the first African-American to sign a major league contract, and he wanted to prove himself. And so, so it says this in the, in the book. It says, feeling desperate, Robinson decided to jump off first base late in one Florida spring training game to try to steal second base and at least prove he could run, if not throw or bat well. The pitcher tossed for home plate, but it was low and hit the dirt, skipping past the catcher, a wild pitch. That enabled Robinson to touch second base and then immediately race for third base. The catcher was still struggling to retrieve the ball, so Hopper, the third base coach, told Robinson to keep on digging for home plate, but he was thrown out. After being just a few seconds from the ecstasy of scoring a run and proving his worth, Robinson instead faced a torrent of boos from the crowd. When he returned to the bench, his Royals teammates said not a word of encouragement. They'd made up their minds already, thought Robinson, that I can't make it. Except a moment later, a boy stood up in the front row near the Royals bench, and he declared, loud enough for Robinson to hear, Atta boy, Jackie. Nice try, Jackie. More important than the words, as Robinson looked up, he noticed the boy happened to be white. It wasn't much of a voice, but you'll never know how it lifted me inside, noted Robinson. I was hungry for a few words like those. I thought that was amazing, just a representation of how people are hungry for those words of encouragement, and all they hear is just a torrent of boos. They're trying to prove their worth. They're trying to get somebody to believe in them. They hear all these boos, and you have no clue what the simple words of just, attaboy, Jackie, good try. Just the encouragement, just the, just the slight bit of saying, man, I believe in you. I'm so proud of you. Man, great job. You have no clue what that will do in somebody's life. So be ready to give those words. There was a study, um, well, there's this, this professor, his name is uh, Richard Boyatzis. He's at the Weatherhood School of Management at Case Western Reserve University. And he has this thing where he started studying work habits and looked, started looking at bosses. And he said that with bosses, that ones that were constantly critical... For a moment, people would get some stuff done out of fear. But in the long run, it shuts people down and they lose focus. But when bosses were positive and encouraging, and get this, when they ask their employees about their dreams and the things they're excited about, what happens is it enhances creativity, it inspires them, and you get better employees that are in it for the long run. You know, and so, so as a boss, if you're constantly critical, it shuts people down. You may say, well, I'm not a boss. I don't have a business. I don't, I don't think about this with your spouse, with your kids. If you are constantly critical, what's going to happen is your kids and your spouse are going to shut down. They're going to lose focus. They are just going to be out of it if you're just constantly critical. But if you are positive and encouraging and you speak into them, I firmly believe that you are going to see something in your kids and in your spouse that you've never seen before. You know, when I got married, I thought, man, I, I'm supposed to point out every wrong thing. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. 
I thought, I thought, I tried to do the work of the Holy Spirit. I, th- I didn't mean for that to be funny, but okay. Um, but I, I guess that is funny. Like, you thought you're God. Wait, way to go. But that's what, I, that's what I wanted to do, is I wanted to be the work that changed Amber. I thought, oh, I need to point this out. I need to point this out. I need to point this out. And there was no encouragement. It was all criticism. And what happened? Nothing changed. But what's crazy is I think that if, if you, as a parent, as a spouse, if you decide I'm not choosing criticism, I'm going to be an encourager. I'm going to point out the good things that are in their life. If there is something that they don't know about, speak the truth in love. But they should hear 10 positive things about how God has made them before they hear a criticism. They shouldn't just feel like you're nagging, 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 just picking apart. You know, I, I think that if you continue that road of criticism, like I said, your spouse will shut down. They'll lose focus. They'll be there, but they won't be there. But if you want a vibrant marriage, if you want to be a great parent, you encourage. Colossians 3.21 says this, Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Parents, I want you to know that as parents, you are called to encourage, to build up. Stop making comments about your kid's weight. Stop making your kids the butt of every joke. Stop calling them stupid. Stop saying that they're not smart enough. Do you know how much your kids look up to the words that you say? Do you realize what a permanent, permanent divot you leave in their soul when you degrade them, when you criticize them? Yes, build them up. Try to encourage them to be better. Don't leave them where they are, but they need to hear from you that you believe in them, that you love them, that you're proud of them where they are, and that your love is not performance-based. Be an encourager as a parent. So the last thing, the last question we should ask if we are critical is what's keeping me out of the arena? What's keeping me out of the arena? You know, it's really easy to criticize when you're not putting yourself out there. It's really easy when you're sitting on your armchair to criticize other people who are trying to do things. You know, it's really easy. Like, Amber and I don't have kids yet. So it's real easy when we're at a restaurant or a store. If some kid's just, like, wailing, it's like, <laughs> not our future kids. Nope. That's, that's not happening on our watch. But it's mainly me. But... The, the other day, we got to um, babysit uh, Josiah and Carly's kids in the Clures, and Amber was having dinner with a friend, and so it was just me for like a couple hours, and it was going great. I was like, this is easy. I put a movie on, kids had some ice cream, it was great. And um, I was like, Amber's going to be really impressed when she walks in. And the second that Amber opened the door, and they heard her, all of a sudden, it turned into pandemonium, just crazy. They started chanting, screaming, running around the room. Ellie, their youngest, ran over to the light and had a little switch on it. She was like turning it on and off. So it was literally like blinking, like strobing. And it looked like for three hours that was just all it had been. And there was nothing I could do. Like I just had to sit back and be like, there, no, I can't do anything. And it, it just gave me a little glimpse of like, I have no clue what's in store. I have no clue. And so... When you create, it causes less criticism. 
I think you're way less critical when you create because you're out there. You're, you're vulnerable. You see how hard it is. You see how difficult it is. Uh, Mark Batterson in Chase the Lion has a term called criticism by creating. If you want to criticize something or you think, man, that could be better, then you create it. You do it. You be the one that God uses to enhance that, to make it better. Um, You know, Greg, the uh, uh, the other week, talked about these mountains and how there are seven mountains, church, family, education, government, uh, media, arts, and business. And all of these are, are seven mountains of influence that we see in the world, and, and, and it had to do with our work. Uh, but I thought it was such a good picture, because a lot of times what we do is we as the church, we create that divide, and then we complain and we criticize what the world is doing. Oh, there's, the music's trash. The movies are trash. The, the, the media is terrible. The blah, 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 blah. All this stuff. We just criticize, complain. What I firmly, and then what we do, though, is we, we are over here as the church, and we create these little mini mountains. We have our own, like, music. We have our own movies. We have our own books. We have our own, and we create these mini mountains around us. We create our own world, and we just look over and just criticize, criticize, criticize. I don't believe that's what God wants to do. I think he wants to break down that divide. If the creator of the universe is in us, I believe we fully are able to create some influence in these other mountains where we can create the music, we can create the movies, we can be in government, we can start the businesses that are creative and amazing and Holy Spirit inspired. So instead of us just sitting and criticizing the rest of the world, what if God wanted to use you to create a better business, to write better music, to write better movies? (laughs) Exactly. So I firmly believe that God has put something in you, something creative in you, that, that, that will cr- cause something in you that, that will produce influence instead of criticism. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. What that's saying is that when you put yourself out there and you create and God blesses your work, you will have influence. What happens is when you do that, when you're the one that's going and invading these other mountains, you don't have time to sit back and criticize how somebody else is climbing their mountain. So create. Be the person that that goes into the arena and does something great. Theodore Roosevelt said this, and and this is so cool for Grad Sunday, because if I could give you guys any quote, this would be it for for what God wants to do with you in the world and and just the mentality, the mindset God wants you to have. He said this, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of the deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So I want to ask you today, what's keeping you out of the arena? What's keeping you in this, this world of criticism instead of you going out and you doing something great? I believe that God has put gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you passions. He's giving you amazing things that you can do. 
and he's put a dream in your heart, something that will change this world. You may not believe it, but I do. God can use you where you're at. And I believe when you understand that, when you realize that, and all of a sudden you start to see, man, God wants to use me to change the world. All of a sudden all this criticizing, all this criticizing goes away because you realize, man, God has a plan for my life. I'm going to do something adventurous. I'm going to dare greatly. I may fail. I may fall flat on my face. But my worth is not in the things I do or what other people say. My worth is in the love that God has for me. And so think about this. Have you gotten to that place where you know that? Not just knowing about God, but knowing God intimately. A relationship with Him. A friendship Uh, where he's your father. Do you have that relationship with him? Because until that point, you are going to criticize, criticize, criticize because you're going to be searching for the fulfillment that you can't find in anyone other than Jesus. So I want to ask you, have you started that relationship yet? Jesus paved the way. He gave his life for you. He defeated death. He took all of your sin on his shoulders and did what you couldn't do. And he did that so he could have a relationship with you. I want to ask you, do you know God? Not just believe in him. Do you know him? If you don't, you can do that today. We're going to